And for our reflection this afternoon, I invite you to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone, evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. We have been looking at this chapter of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 for a few weeks, and certainly we can identify not just the theme of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, but indeed the entire epistle of 1 Thessalonians. In fact, we could even go further to say 2 Thessalonians as well is all about the second coming of our Lord Jesus. Every chapter of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, even uh, Second Thessalonians make reference to the coming of our Lord Jesus. So it's safe to say that whatever Paul says here in First Thessalonians chapter 5 has a bearing on the coming of Christ. We saw earlier how Paul reminded the Thessalonian Christians how that Christ would come back without a moment's notice, how that he would come as a thief in the night, for when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction shall come upon them as a woman in travail, and they shall not escape. We heard Paul giving instructions as to how they should live. We ended on the note of Paul addressing the Thessalonian church to be respectful of their leaders, to know their leaders, to submit to them. And then Paul closed that little section by saying to them that they are to be at peace among themselves. Now, Beginning in verses 14 and 15, which we are considering this afternoon, we see in verses 14 and 15 the call to minister to various members of the church who are in need of special attention. It's a call to admonish, to encourage, to help, to exercise patience toward these members. First of all, there's a call to admonish or warn the idle. Here's what Paul says, verse 14. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. The very fact that he says there, we urge you, suggests that there was some problem going on in that church. Problem or problems. And the very fact that he says we urge you suggests that it was something that, to which they needed to give urgent, critical attention. He urges them to admonish the idle. That word admonish means to warn, it carries the idea of a sober warning. This, no, this is not the time for soft talking. This is a time for firm confrontation. Paul says, I urge you to warn the idle. And the Greek word that's rendered here as idle was the word that was used in the Greco-Roman world to describe a soldier who, lacking discipline, would break rank and not stand in his place. Paul was well aware of the fact that even in the church of Jesus Christ, even among God's people, there could be the idle and the unruly. It is a fallacy to think that in a church where there are supposed to be Christians, everyone is going to act godly and everybody is going to have a wonderful time. And to think that way is to be sadly disillusioned. God saves sinners, and having saved them, they do not become perfect. They are and continue to be a work in progress. Paul, as I said then, was well aware 
that there were those in the church who could be idle and unruly. And though one of the best churches of Paul's day, in fact, Paul founded this local church at Thessalonica, the Thessalonian church had in its ranks those who were living in an idle, unruly manner. In fact, we see inklings of this throughout the epistle, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. Here's what Paul wrote. He wrote to the church. He says, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies, now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their own work quietly and to earn their own living. First Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 11, Paul had previously warned these members, exhorted these members of the church to aspire, he says, to live quietly and to mind their own affairs and to work with their own hands. Many commentators in trying to reconstruct and read closely as to what might have been happening in the church, they suggest, of course, that against the backdrop of the prominence of the second coming, the Lord's return, the Thessalonian church were so enamored with the idea that Christ's return was imminent, they were looking for the Lord's return, that here's where the problem began. They started, some of them started to not work and to be simply waiting for the return of Christ. And of course, you know, the saying goes, the devil finds work for idle hands. What happened was that they began to go about as busybodies stirring up trouble. In fact, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6, Paul went as far as to admonish a church as follows. He says there in 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 6, now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. So there are, there are problems in all churches, problems of one kind or another. And sometimes in churches you have people who are unruly and idle. The church at Corinth had its own share of unruly members, it was a church that was beset, as you know, with contentions. It was riddled with sexual immorality, sexual scandal. That was a problem, church. In 1 Timothy 5, verse 13, Paul observed the tendency. Here's another problem situation in a church. 1 Timothy 5, verse 13, Paul observed the tendency of some women to be what he describes as idlers going about from house to house and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. Let me say this very quickly, that men do that too. So just to level the playing field, but the Bible says here, the Bible singles out because that evidently was a prevailing problem in Paul's day, and understandably so, because the women did not go to work as the men. They had all the free time to sit on couches and watch daytime television and watch The View and so on and so forth. Now, in Titus chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, he alerted Titus. Here's another problem situation in a local church. He alerted Titus to members of the church who, here's Paul's description, he says, there were insubordinate, empty talkers who must be silenced as they were upsetting entire families with their heretical teachings. 
And to impress on Titus the seriousness of this situation, he cited one of their own poets who described them and the people of their geographic regions. Paul says, one of their own poets says this, Cretans are liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. To which Paul gave his own attestation, charging Titus, therefore, to rebuke them sharply so that they would be sound in the faith. When we read all of these things, we certainly cannot have a romantic view, an idealistic view of the local church. The church on earth is a work in progress. The church on earth is imperfect. The church on earth, while walking in holiness, is subject to temptation, is subject to failure, and the only time we'll ever attain to perfection will be at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, even in the church today, beloved, there's the need to not only know, but to warn those believers who are unruly. Thank the Lord, as far as we know, we do not have, as far as we know, unruly idle people in our assembly. And it's necessary to do so because unruly Christians can bring dishonor and reproach to the name and testimony of Christ. And in so doing what they do, they would turn off, turn off unbelievers from coming to Christ. The Christian, the word of God teaches, is to be exemplary in his or her conduct. And why should the Christian be exemplary in his or her conduct in all manner of life, faithfully representing the Lord Jesus in all things? Because of what God says they are ought to be in the world. They are to be salt of the earth and they are to be light of the world. In other words, their lives are to be flavorful, their lives are to be illuminating, attracting the unsaved to the Lord Jesus Christ. They should lead well-ordered, godly lives so such that they will win, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 12, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7, that they would win the respect and admiration of outsiders, thereby, Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, inspiring them to glorify the God we serve. What did our Lord Jesus say? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So it's very important that the church be on the alert, that the church be mindful of persons who within its ranks might be idle and unruly. Why? Because when Christians live in an unruly manner, in an idle manner, that constitutes ungodliness. That is a turnoff to unbelievers as far as coming to Christ is concerned. Second, it's necessary to warn the unruly within the church because if left unchecked, and this is very critical, if left unchecked, unruly members can disrupt and destroy the unity and peace of the church. Yes, we only need one, one troublemaker. You've often heard the saying, one bad apple spoils the whole barrel. One bad sheep spoils the whole flock. The, church, the unity of the church, the stability of the church is so critical. It is fragile, it's a fragile thing, it's an elusive thing, and hence it is to be guarded jealously, it is to be guarded carefully, and the slightest undercurrent of sin can derail and destroy a local church. 
In the second place, we find in our text a call to encourage the faint-hearted. So Paul is giving a series of exhortations, a series of admonitions as to how we ought to relate to different members of the church. First of all, he says, warn the idle, warn the unruly. Now he says, in the second place, he says, encourage the faint-hearted. Who are the faint-hearted in the church? The faint-hearted translates a Greek word which means little soul, literally little soul. And by extension, little-spirited. The word speaks of those who by temperament are often timid, fearful, dispirited, discouraged. There are believers who, it seems, temperamentally speaking, are given to discouragement, to depression, to timidity, to fearfulness. And such Christians, Paul suggests, are more in need of encouragement than they are in need of warning or rebuke. And who best modeled what it means to comfort the faint-hearted, to comfort the timid, to comfort the discouraged than our Lord Jesus Christ? His disciples from time to time would be fearful, they would be anxious, they would be fretful. And we hear Lord Jesus saying to them, for example, in John chapter 14 and verse 1, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. What comforting words. He would say to them in John chapter 16, verse 33, I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You and I are to minister to the faint-hearted. You and I are to minister to those who are inclined to be discouraged, fretful, and fearful. In the third place, we see in verse 14, a call to help the weak. A call to help the weak. Who are the weak? In the assembly of God's people in the church, the weak describes those who are most vulnerable to spiritual failure and easily fall prey to sin and temptations. There are in the church... Christians who are not as strong as other Christians. There are strong Christians, vibrant Christians. There are Christians who are a little below strong and vibrant. There are other Christians who are always floundering, ever failing, true at heart, sincere, yet they are weak. They are spiritually immature, and as such, they constantly need supportive, strengthening ministry from their fellow Christians. These are Christians who need watchful, careful, loving oversight, not censor or harsh criticism. We wouldn't go to those kind of Christians and say, listen, you need to brush up, you need to wake up, you need to be revived, get going. No, no, that would not be our approach to the, to the weak. These are Christians who need to be helped, who need to be prayed for. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 1, the word of God enjoins us. Here's what scripture says. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. And this is what the church should be doing. The church should be a place 
where weak believers in Christ are nurtured, given special attention, encouraged, prayed for, and prodded on in the things of the Lord. In his farewell address to the elders at Ephesus, Paul declared in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, he says this, In all things I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And I would say, my friends, never are we more godlike, never are we more like God in character as when we are engaged in a ministry of comforting the weak. Why? Because this is the very thing that God does. The Holy Spirit is characteristically described as a comforter. And the Greek word suggests one who comes alongside another to lend support, to lend help and encouragement. We read in Romans chapter 8 verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Here is the Almighty God of heaven in the person of the Holy Spirit condescending to the weak, to you and me, and he, the Bible says, helps us in our weaknesses, even in our moments of prayer when we don't know how to pray, what to pray for. He takes our groaning. He goes before the throne of God with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, Paul gives a fourth command, a fourth piece of instruction to members of the church in terms of how they ought to relate to one another. And he says this, be patient with them all. Be patient with them all. Who would be the them? All of these people, the weak, the idle, those who are faint-hearted. Paul says, be patient with them all. In a nutshell, what Paul is saying here to the church at Thessalonica is that no one should be written off as a helpless case. No one should be written off as a helpless case. Be patient with them all. Here's a call for tolerance. Here's a call for forbearance. Here's a call for long-suffering, as the word in the Greek suggests. The word here for patient means to suffer long, to put up with, to bear with. In our society today, our society is one of intolerance. Our society is one in which people have no regard, no sympathy for the viewpoint of others. The people will readily curse you, or even people will say, even on Facebook, on X, you know, that sounds strange, you know, the old Twitter, people are just cursed off. Why? Because people are just intolerant, lack of patience. To be patient with such individuals, as Paul instructed the church at Thessalonica, is the opposite of being short-tempered and quick to give up on them. And one reason we could say as to why we are so impatient, if we, stop to re- if we really stop to think of it, one reason, you and I, I put myself in it, you and I, at times, are so impatient toward others, it's precisely because of this. We tend to see more of the faults of others and less of ours. As such, if not for the grace of God, we become hypercritical. Now talk about hypocritical. It's hypocritical, yes, but we're talking here about being hypercritical. That is overly critical and judgmental toward others. Considering our own sins, our own failures will certainly go a far way in causing us, in helping us to be tolerant and patient toward others. And also we need to consider how much God in grace and mercy has been patient with us. 
How often we are deserving of the wrath of God, and yet God keeps forgiving us. God keeps being merciful toward us. God keeps being patient toward us. And the truth is, we should take our cue from that fact and be likewise patient with others. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, Psalm 103, verse 8 tells us. Patience, we learn in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, is one element of the fruit of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, and so on and so forth. It is the will of God that you and I, as his people, be patient with all. So on the whole, the essence of Paul's instruction here in verse 14 is that the right procedure needs to be adopted in dealing with different individuals in the church, different individuals and their needs. There's a need for the right procedure. And someone has commented, and it's very much appropriate here, he says this, it would not work, and I'm quoting this writer, he says, it would not work to take tender care of a lazy person. That person would not appreciate it and would remain unchanged. It would not work to warn a timid person. That person is a fragile self-esteem anyway, and a warning would only scare him or her away. It would not work to encourage a truly weak person to press on to greater things. That would show callousness to the person's real need, the one trying to encourage maybe doing so because it takes far less effort and involvement than taking tender care of that person, as Paul described, end quote. Now, moving from general instructions to as to how members of the church should minister to one another's needs, Paul now addresses the issue of inner attitudes which we as believers in Christ should adopt. And we see that in verses 15 through 18. And first of all, in verse 15, Paul issues a call for non-retaliation. A call for non-retaliation. Here's what he says, verse 15. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always... Seek to do good to one another and to everyone. What Paul is saying here when he says see to it, he's saying, listen, don't let this matter of believers getting even with one another slip under the radar. Don't let it elude your notice. See to it. Watch so as to detect any tendency toward Christians being vindictive toward one another. That's what Paul is saying here. And let me say here, why is it necessary To put it as Paul says, see to it. Why? Because, here's the point, a spirit of vindictiveness, a spirit of ill will, where we want to return evil for evil, sometimes it is not visibly manifest. It can be subtle. We know from our own experience too, and we should examine our own hearts. There are sometimes people who will say, well, I'm not bitter towards this person. But here's the truth. At heart, they might not even be aware that underlying, right within their heart, underlying everything is a spirit of bitterness, is a spirit of unforgiveness, is a spirit of wanting to get even with some person who has hurt them. So Paul says then, see that no one repays evil for evil. What Paul is saying here is this. It is right to do good to others despite the fact that they have wronged us or done evil to us. That's the way of our Lord Jesus. That's what we are called to as Christians. 
You know, some people might say, well, you know, I, I could never be a Christian because I don't see myself doing that. I don't see myself being a walkover. Well, here's the point. This is not being a walkover. This is not being a wimp. It takes courage. It takes moral stamina to not be vindictive and vengeful. To not get even with those who have hurt us. Listen to our Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, 38, 39, 44. This is what our Lord Jesus says. He says this, You have heard it that it was said, An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You said, did Jesus really mean that literally? Yes, he did. He did. In fact, he himself practiced it because you remember when he was there on the cross, as they ran those nails through his flesh, as they spat upon him, as they buffeted him, what was our Lord Jesus doing? He was there on the cross. He was praying, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. And the tense in the Greek, the verb in the Greek suggests continuously, in other words, it's the imperfect tense, he kept saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And that is what he calls us to. The Bible commands us in Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 21. He says this, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Watch that phrase. Give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. What that suggests, give thought to, it suggests that it's not something that comes naturally. It's not something that comes easily. It is not our default disposition. Our default disposition is to want to get what? Even. And if we can in the, want to get even, we even go more and exact more hurt from the person than they hurt us in the first place. That's human nature all over. To do otherwise is totally out of character for the follower of Jesus Christ. You see, God has called us to be different. He has called us to take up the cross and follow him. The way of the cross is a way of shame. It is a way of scandal. It is a way of crucified pride. And the question is, how will we be able to fulfill such a command? Well, we can't do it in our own strength. It has to be through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. It is God who in grace must enable us to live in that manner. So as we give thought to these instructions this evening, we could ask ourselves, what are some practical ways in which we could apply these truths? Well, we want to ask ourselves the question, are there those among us who are in need of special comfort, special encouragement? Are there among those among us who are spiritually weak, who need special help? In what ways are we being impatient? In what ways are we being indifferent? Because, you see, we might not be impatient, but we might just simply be indifferent. It's none of my business. And by God's grace, we should endeavor to fulfill these exhortations, these principles, these commands in our own lives, in our own church. May God grant that this would be so for his name's sake. Amen.